0: I do believe that you have to mentally empower yourself before you can empower people. You gotta see yourself being there and doing this and being successful, because this might be your start. You don't know where your finish line is, right?
1: Attention.
2: And the crews blast off on the start. Early leaders in this boat coming from Denmark over there in lane three, though.
3: On yeah. the screen there, we have the Danes who are in the lead at this stage.
2: Ida Jacobsen, the 23-year-old, in the stroke of that boat. was in the under-23s last year, just missed out on a medal in the Danish four, finished fourth in that event. But uh, Ida now in a really strong crew, and you can see why.
4: My name is Ida Gotts Jacobsen. I'm a member of the Danish national team in rowing, and I have been
1: for two years now? Ida grew up in Denmark and has been rowing for 12 years now. While many athletes start a sport because their mom or dad played it, or it runs in the family, according to Ida's mom, Ida got into rowing on her own. There are many things that I'm proud of about Ida.
2: She chose the sport on her own. We're not rowers in my family, or my my husband and I are not rowing. But it wasn't something that we were sort of aware of, that as a sport that we encouraged her to, to go into. And, and so she found out herself through friends and, and that she wanted to do this. And it very, I think it became apparent quite quickly that she was talented. Doing this on her own, I think, is something that I admire a lot. In
1: 2013, Ida got a taste of success in the Junior World Championships, where she and her team received their first medal. And she's been climbing the ranks of competition ever since.
4: When I was at the Junior World Championships with one of my best friends called Matilda, who's st- still one of my best friends, and we won a bronze medal. And we were both from the same club in Denmark. We were a lot smaller than the rest of the field. She's she's now a lightweight. And I'm I'm not very tall for a heavyweight rower, which is, I, I don't like to use that as an excuse. But at the time, it was just, we look kind of as odd ones out. And just the fact that I think being you know a junior rower and it's all so big and there's a lot more nerves on because you haven't tried this sort of intense setting before, but it all came together and we got a bronze medal and we were just thrilled. And I still remember that sort of feeling of getting the chills. And I still get the chills when I talk about it because it was so much fun.
1: Ida's a very well-rounded person. She's dedicated and ambitious in both school and sport but she's also artistic and has a wide range of interests.
5: I think one of the things that stand out in my mind when meeting Ida the first time was uh, her openness and also the flair she had for for the sport and how dedicated and ambitious she was. Uh, That was something that was really appealing for me as well. And we could basically talk about everything.
1: This is Ida's boyfriend, Samir, who's also a student in Copenhagen where Ida is studying security risk management and Samir share an interest in political science and current events but she also has an interest that Samir admits he knows nothing about.
5: I know it sounds kind of weird but uh, she has uh, not a bit, but she's kind of uh, yeah, interested in, in cheese in general like all kind of all kind of cheese you have to cut the cheese in a proper way and all that, all that kind of things so I've tried like one time when I didn't actually know how to cut it so I did it just the way that I found intuitive but she was kind of uh, quick to comment on it.
4: Samir was just like baffled by how many cheeses I do have in my fridge, which is like, I mean, for me, it's, it's just like a day-to-day thing. I didn't even think about it that much until Samir pointed it out. But I do like cheese. I think it would just be called like a cheese expert, basically, or a, a cheese lover. At my parents' house, there's always a pot of coffee on, and there's always cheese in the fridge. And I think I just like, I've uh, taken that in you have to cut it evenly so that nobody gets the center of the cheese only and nobody gets the edges of it. So if you have round cheese, you just, you're just you supposed to cut it like, like a cake or say it was initially a big round cheese and you have only a piece of it, you're not supposed to start from the end that was the center at the beginning.
1: This was blowing my mind. So I obviously had to do some primary cheese research with my French classmate who was also a cheese connoisseur. Emilu Nikolai helped me understand that it's not just about how you cut the cheese, but also what you use to cut it.
3: As a cheese expert, I can say that you don't need very fancy knife, you just need several knives for each cheese, and you just put the cheese on the plateau with the, the several knives, and it's wonderful.
1: After competing in the Junior World Championships for rowing, Ida had an offer to row for University of Southern California (USC) in college, and this sparked a love for studying abroad. After her four years at USC, she wasn't done living internationally.
4: I wasn't quite done with being abroad after that, so I went to Cambridge for a year and rowed there. Rowed something called the Boat Race, which is this grand race between Oxford and Cambridge that takes place once a year on the Thames River in London. And then shortly after that, I went home to Denmark, and then uh, I've basically been training with the national team
3: since.
1: For the past three years, Ida has been rowing alongside her friend and teammate, Anne Larsen.
3: I will describe her as one of the person you can trust. She's a very strong woman, and she's always so supportive to others. And I think that Ida is seeing the best in all persons. On the Danish team, she's always, for the men's and the women's, you can do it. And she's one of the person who always, I can do it, no matter what, I can do it. And I think that Ida is trying to give other person the same
1: feeling. Ida and Anne's friendship has continued and even grown through competition. There are two top boats on the Danish rowing team, and everyone competes to be in the first boat. Ida secured her place in that top boat. And even though Anne didn't, she's fiercely supportive of Ida and her success.
3: we also friends, but we're also rowing the same side. So we always in competition together because we both want to be on the fastest boat. From the 2018 season, we learned and supported each other so much that today we always see the best in each other and right now Ida is in the Danish women's four and I think Ida doing great. It's a little bit special that I can say I think Ida should be in the boat but I think that Ida deserves to be in the boat.
1: Ida has certainly worked hard to get to where she is on her way to the Tokyo Olympics. At the time of our conversation recording, early August 2020, the Olympic Games would have been happening had it not been for COVID-19.
4: I was supposed to be at the Olympics, but obviously the pandemic got in the way. Thankfully, I still get to do it next year, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
1: The pandemic has obviously affected nearly everyone in the world in some way, shape, or form. At the same time, the Olympics have only been canceled three times since the modern games started in 1896, and this is the first time that the games have ever been postponed. It's interesting because every athlete has handled the postponement differently. And for Ida, the rescheduling made her question her identity and even purpose.
4: Right when, when the announcement was made, I wasn't really so surprised because we'd been speculating for a few a few weeks by then about whether it would be postponed because the virus was developing in that, in that area of the world at the moment. It was only a matter of time before it would get to the rest of us. And I think when the decision was made by the IOC, I was almost relieved because I knew that as the situation was evolving, it wasn't going to be the right kind of olympic experience it was also being questioned whether there was they would be able to hold it with spectators which was obviously also changed the whole olympic experience and the fact of not potentially having you know my my family there to support me was just also a bit odd to think about so We were way on training camp when when the decision was made, so I was just sort of like in in the zone training and just saw this as an opportunity to just get better basically and just train a whole lot that was fine for about a week. And then reality hit and I got tired. Just the the fact of physical fatigue where you have to to pull yourself up and, and really grind on even if you don't feel like it. That's when it gets tough because that's when it all feels kind of hopeless. I find that my motivation in those times just oscillates so much. It just gets so much harder, a lot harder than it has been in previous years where we've had you know a World Cup coming up in, in two weeks. So of course you can pull yourself through this and it's only a matter of a few days or weeks you get some time off. And right now it just seems like a long training period. That's mentally extremely tough.
1: Most of us are struggling with working or studying from home, but we don't have the added pressure of trying to stay in peak shape for an opportunity they may never have again. The games come every four years, so this postponement has major implications on the aging or phasing out of athletes. To help contextualize what Ito was going through, I sat down with someone who had also had an Olympic experience taken away from her.
5: Across the world, legions of Olympic hopefuls began training to reach their peak and with luck realize their ambition of winning Olympic gold. As 1980 began, the eyes of most athletes were firmly fixed on Moscow and their opportunity of winning in the Olympics.
1: In 1980, the U.S. team boycotted the Olympics, and while the circumstances were radically different, the athletes who were selected to compete never had the chance to.
0: So many of the Olympians had worked so hard for that moment in
1: time. It was horrible. This is Nancy Lieberman, former American professional basketball player and coach. She played for the U.S. women's basketball team at the 76 games where they won silver, And they were going for gold in 1980, but she never got that chance. They didn't get to compete.
0: We kind of knew what was going to happen. But until you watch the president say that, you know, we're going to boycott the Olympics because, you know, Russia, sports in Russia was one of the big things that they worldwide had to hang their hat on. And that was their punishment, apparently for invading Afghanistan. I remember the people crying, actually, in the room, both men and women, like visibly from their heart. You could feel their pain. Man, to be an athlete and to just give up so much of your time, your effort, you're always playing hurt. You're never perfect because you're, you're pounding your body into places that the normal... Human being does not understand. You're always playing in pain on some level, just to be at a level that can represent this country and make people proud. You know, I try out for me, but I play for you.
1: Ida and Nancy's descriptions help us non Olympic athletes understand a bit more about how this time may feel for them. But the pandemic isn't just stretching the, the mental fortitude of our athletes. It's affected the emotional and mental health of people around the world. Mete shares a little bit more about what the pandemic has felt like in Denmark. So I think COVID-19
2: has been sort of taking a toll on, on everybody. Also in, in, in Denmark over the last four or five months. So I think people's feelings have gone from being, you know, not knowing what, what it was about to becoming kind of depressed. I think everybody has had that feeling because, I mean, it, most people's lives have been changed and a lot of people feel that it would be really nice if we could go back at least to a lot of the things that we were used to and we don't know when. So of course that's, that's difficult for everybody and there's this sense of loss about the life that we had terms of traveling, in terms of being with friends, planning your your near future, which is, is is really difficult. And there's a lot of this planning that cannot be done right now because there are so many things that are not in our hands. So we have to find a way to, to deal with that.
4: For me it has helped to just avert my attention from the issue, saying the uncertainty or Lack of motivation for training or or tiredness or feeling a bit isolated and doing something else. Saying, right, I'm going to leave that, put it on the shelf for today because I can't do anything about it. And then try and do something else, try and, and distract myself. And even if the possibilities of doing something else or averting my attention are limited because of the pandemic. I've just found it extremely helpful to sort of do something else and talk with friends and family. Even if it had to be with some sort of social distance, but at least reach out, do other things, find new hobbies, can go for a walk and just saying, I can't do anything about that right now. Tomorrow, have a look at it again. The same with training. If I can't get through a workout and I've tried and I've tried, then just leave it and maybe tomorrow you'll get through it and then you'll have so much more energy in doing that.
2: I think it's very good advice that, that the, uh, the way to is, is dealing with this is a very good way to do that because you, I mean, you have to sort of see what's in front of you right now, how can I deal with the next couple of days and, and make that work because planning very much ahead is, is simply not always possible. But of course, at the same time, Ida has to plan ahead because there is a big event which will be going on in a year. So, so there's definitely something to sort of so to balance the, the very short side and the very long side.
1: Ida's take of focusing on what she can do today and then just letting go of what she can't really hit home for me. Her boyfriend Samir weighs in on how the extra time and space has actually been really good for Ida, and how it's allowed her to reflect on her sources of motivation.
5: But I think it was actually a good thing for her, because then she had like more time to actually think about the games, and also in general, why is she actually rowing, and why is it that she finds the sport fascinating and interesting. So of course, um, times such as COVID, um, they're really hard, but also a good time.
4: In terms of adapting to all this, I've had to tell myself that it's not like I'm putting all that away. I can take what's, what's given to me and try to make it the best of that and always insist that for myself, I do it on my own terms, that of course, I'm a part of the team boat and I have to make it work with them as well that's also a big priority of mine but i also need to understand that in order for myself to be my, the best teammate that i can i have to understand my own needs in terms of how i function the best outside of the sport so it's it's a lot about of course adapting and being responsive to the sudden changes that can happen because we don't know how the pandemic and the whole sort of lockdown and and social distancing and and travel restrictions, how that might look in a few months. So it's sort of a question of still being open to changes on that end and seeing, well, that's something I can't do anything about, but I can do something about what is what is unhanded to me and, and try to make the most of that in terms of my weekly schedule and how I how I function the best.
1: Eda's way of coping with the setbacks of the pandemic are very much in line with what many mental health experts are saying to do focus on what you can handle today, take things one day at a time, and find ways to distract yourself so you're not completely overtaken by the negative impacts of COVID in your life and around the world. And while the perspective she shared is for her life as an athlete training for Tokyo, it's applicable to all of us just living everyday lives as employees, students, parents, citizens trying to adapt and manage the stress of how we're dealing with the pandemic on a daily basis. I spoke with Dr. Kim Leary, Associate Professor of Psychology at the Harvard Medical School and Health Policy and Management at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. Dr. Leary focuses on the intersection of adapted leadership, psychology, and women's advancement.
6: COVID-19 has been months and months and months of multiple overlapping adaptive challenges. Whatever you knew before about teaching, you know, it's not invalid, but it is different when you're teaching online. Whatever you knew about being a student is different when you're doing it in a virtual environment. And we're not dealing now just with a public health crisis. We've got a public health crisis that became an economic crisis as low-wage workers didn't have a safety net and lost their jobs, and that even if you're lucky to work at home and you have kids at home, how do you work at home and also tend to your kids? And then the economic crisis became a racial justice crisis, and that's continuing. And right now, our democratic ideals are being tested like never before. So under those conditions, it's hard to know how to thrive. Because there isn't a book that you can pull off the shelf that will tell you this is what you do now.
1: If there was a book that told us step-by-step how to deal with this pandemic, I would totally be reading it right now. Dr. Leary goes on to discuss how the postponement of the Games is likely affecting athletes at a mental and emotional level beyond what Ida has already shared.
6: If you've grown up expecting desiring to be uh, an accomplished athlete and when it's your moment in time and the moment changes around you it's terrifically disappointing it can be demoralizing it can shake up your identity and it is hard because athletes you know there is a period of time when they're at their peak but it's also the case that Maybe we can give things a second go round, even though that's not the usual way of thinking about elite athletic performance. In the world right now are a lot of athletes who are all struggling to find a way to maintain their skills and capacities. And they're hanging on and they're hoping for their moment. And I would say, even though the moment may not feel like what you envisioned, don't be sure that the moment may not still come. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt and trust that what you've worked so hard for may well find a place in your life portfolio in one way or another. You won't regret that you kept at it. You would regret if you don't.
1: If you're an athlete listening to this, maybe you can relate. and. Even if you're not an athlete, maybe you can too, because for people who are at the height of their careers or on the trajectory to succeed in business or school, you name it, throw in a pandemic where everything comes to a screeching halt and you're all of a sudden having to relearn how to do what you've been doing. And that's seriously challenging for anyone. But I love Dr. Leary's advice. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt and keep at it the best you can. In addition to this, Dr. Leary gives us some concrete action steps that we can all take to adapt to these unusual times and to maintain our sanity, or to at least try.
6: I'll put on my psychologist hat first, because I'm a clinical psychologist by training. And my psychologist hat would be for people to recognize the enormous stress that they're under. And not only whatever personal stress you're feeling, but the stress that your spouse or your partner, or your children, or your neighbor, or your mother, or your father. We're all stressed. And when you recognize that you're under stress, you then have to recognize that you have to take steps to to try to reduce some of that stress as best you can. For example, I think people need a bit of a digital Sabbath from the news. We're all used to, you know, following the news very closely. But the news is a source of stress these days. So people have to figure out and titrate what's the right amount of information to come in. I think people need to be tuned into their physical bodies and to make sure that they are not just sitting in chairs all day long. That even if you're in the house that you're walking around and if you can get out of the house that you're getting some exercise. If you feel it's safe that you can run or walk outside or go to a gym. is such an enormous benefit of helping people to feel a sense of agency in their lives. So that's one thing I would say. The other is that right now, purposeful work is needed more than ever. This set of crises will not be ending anytime soon. And we have to prepare for being able to hand off and make sure that we have the next group of Folks ready to assume leadership roles. And there is a place for everyone in the recovery to come because that recovery is gonna cover so many different sectors and so much innovation and creativity will be needed.
1: Dr. Leary's advice is very applicable to us all. Her last point about preparing to make a handoff to the next group of leaders aiding in the pandemic recovery wasn't something I had given much thought to before. But when I asked Ida for one message she wants the world to hear, her advice was directly in line.
4: Even if we are in a crisis, we can still insist on what is right and wrong. We can't forget that. Those small struggles or or issues that, that were important before the crisis, those we can't forget even if we are in a difficult position. This pandemic affects all those those people who might have just gotten a seat at the table before the pandemic hit and now we're all talking about life or death and health and economic turmoil and the stress that it is causing our world society. And we sometimes forget all the small all the small struggles that were happening because they are seen as secondary or less important or minor in the grand scheme of things, but they are not. And in fact, this time can be a moment for us to reflect on all the things that we could be better at addressing
1: and solving. And to our aspiring Tokyo athletes, Nancy leaves a message of inspiration and encouragement for you as well.
0: I do believe that you have to mentally empower yourself before you can empower people. You gotta see yourself being there and doing this and being successful, because this might be your start. You don't know where your finish line is, right? So I would say that to the athletes, I would say it to you, to the Paralympic athletes. I would say master the things that take the talent. It doesn't take talent to think like a champion. It doesn't take talent to show up. It doesn't take talent to have a finisher's mentality.
1: That's how you win the game. Thanks for joining us on Flame Bears, the woman-athletes carrying Tokyo's torch. Be sure to tune into the next episode, where I speak with Kim Crosby of the U.S. track and field team about her identity as a black and blind woman with albinism, as well as her marriage to fellow Paralympic star athlete, Eric Hightower. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe on your listening platform so you don't miss an episode. And while you're at it, please leave us a review. We'd greatly appreciate it. Lastly, massive thank you to my Harvard iLab mentor, Dino, for his ongoing support and advice. We'll catch you on our next episode of Flame Bears.